0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Establishing Shot. My name is Ted Barron. I am here in the somewhere in the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center, not in the Browning Cinema this time around, uh, to tell you about things that are going on here. And joining me, as always, is the uh, uh, well-dressed uh, Ricky Herbst. Uh, Our cinema program manager.
1: I'll take it. Hi, Ricky. Hey, how's it going today?
0: It's going fine. Um, We are going to give you guys the rundown on what's going on in October. Uh, We're also going to, later on in our podcast, we're going to welcome the queen of costuming here at Notre Dame, Lynn Holbrook, who's going to join us for our our top three. We love Lynn. Um, and we're glad she made the time for us. Uh, she knows everything there is to know about uh, good clothing and uh, well constructed clothing. I should say mm-hmm. she, she knows, can build some clothes. She can make it. She can make it real look real good. So um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before we get to that, we're going to give you guys a rundown on uh, October. So Ricky, why don't you tell us what we got coming up?
1: Uh, busy month. Uh, mm-hmm. We do have fall break uh, happening during the month, but that doesn't mean that the Browning Cinema is closed mm-hmm. and a bunch of initiatives. So let's hop on in. Right. So, our two Learning Beyond the Classics uh, classes for the semester are wrapping up. New Jack Cinema closes out with Poetic Justice and Set It Off. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of the wild bunch yeah. of New Jack cinema,
0: and we're going from men to women. It seems like because we did just another girl in the IRT already, and half seas. Um, yep, yeah, yep. no, it's a good balance.
1: Yeah, the the just another girl in the IRT does not. Uh, meet the reverse Bechdel test. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we talked about that in class. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we are finishing up our Screening the Irish Troubles class mm-hmm. uh, with some mother son and H3. And the writer of H3 uh, will be Skyping in because he can't travel outside of Ireland because he is a former prisoner during the time of this and okay. still can't get a visa to the USA. But he'll be Skyping in to talk about his time in... Uh, in, in the prisons as uh, uh, someone as a Republican fighter. Great. Uh, and telegraphing at the end of the month, our new Learning Beyond the Classics will be starting. And for those, we'll be doing a dive into the filmography of Abbas Kiarostami, Ami, the Iranian uh, auteur, and the year 1999. Great. Looking forward to.
0: Looking forward to seeing what we got in those. We'll <laughs> save those for next year. We got some toxic masculinity to come in your way. Yeah, oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> 99 through
1: and true. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. So for our new at the Browning mm-hmm. uh, fun month, we have The Rest I Make Up, a documentary that is part of an ongoing festival uh, celebrating the playwright, um, uh, Marie, Maria. Maria. Irene Fornes, uh, okay. and that is with Professor Anne Garcia Romero.
0: And in our, in our theater department is actually going to be presenting a, a Fornes festival, a festival of plays here at the Performing Arts Center, where there's four different plays that you can see um, in early October. Um, I don't have the dates, but um, go to our website, and you'll get a chance to see some really interesting work.
1: We also have the a hit from the summer mm-hmm. uh, with Hollywood It Girl, Aquafina mm-hmm. and South Bend Performer. Really? <laughs> yeah, she uh, performed at Langham.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, launched her into her role. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Wow, now, uh, now a potential Oscar contender for this.
1: Right, she's getting a bunch of hype. I, yeah. I think she'll crack through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're showing with the Harper Center, Uh, here on campus, uh, The Farewell. And that's free, uh, but ticketed, so just get your ticket in advance. Uh, We also have the new bio doc uh, continuing this long phase of documentary biographies of Pavarotti, (laughs) a ciao, a bello. And that was directed
0: by Ron Howard, taking his swipe at this. Oh, oh yeah, and not to be confused with uh, Domingo for good reason, but l- we'll leave that alone.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, another another uh, well, this is a, a bio uh, biopic a, a biopic thank you.
0: myopic biopic.
1: Yeah well this one's it's not myopic. No, I don't think so. No. Uh, This is the new biopic of uh, Randy Ray Moore, Mm -hmm. who created the character Dolomite. That is a huge figure in the 70s Mm backpultation scene. And it was written, uh, co-written by South South Benzone, Larry Karazuski, who's going to be Skyping in to talk about his film. That's great. Uh, But Larry Karazuski and Scott Alexander's bread and butter uh, are kind of the rogue filmmakers DIY let's put on a show types. Sure. Uh for example Ed Wood which uh, Larry which was
0: here for recently Larry's. showed. Yep.
1: So uh the whole dolomite story is totally yeah. Uh, It sets up so perfectly for them.
0: Larry always puts me to shame in terms of how much he's seen and how many movies he knows. He just is, he's, I mean, he redefines encyclopedic. He just, he he is such an obsessive film fan. And it's, uh, and he's, I mean, enthusiastic, just loves you know, so many good films. And this is, this is an era that we've been looking
1: at indirectly in our New Jack Cinema course. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be fun to see it come back alive. As if you think of New Jack Cinema as Generation Two, you kind of mm-hmm. have Generation One and Generation Three represented versus right. this wave, film and era. <laughs> and so it will be, uh, so it will be a lot of fun to to show here in the cinema. Also, a difficult title to get because it's through Netflix, which okay. you rarely can't see Netflix movies actually in
0: movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so come on out for that. It will be, be a great time, great. nice weekend run. All right, uh, our Disney movies are. Well, we start with sword in the stone and then we get a little spooky in honor <laughs> it is October. of October. Yeah. Uh, we get, but, uh, bed knobs and broomsticks, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know. I don't think that that's, that's that pretty, spooky. that's pretty soft. A witch fights Nazis is odd fodder <laughs> for a Disney film, but you know, it is what it it's is. something. Then we have the watcher in the woods, mm. uh, Betty Davis at her worst. <laughs> <laughs> at her wackiest. At her wackiest. Actually, I like, I like her performance quite a bit in it. Uh, uh, and then we end with the deeply unsettling <laughs> return to Oz.
0: Good <laughs> luck, kids. Nightmare. Yeah, we do. Uh, we, we have a disclaimer for these in terms of they all nightmare inducing. They're all G
1: and PG rated. Okay, that I can promise you. And
0: that's yeah, and that's wait, is it Return to Oz is what, what is it? What's is it PG? Is it G or PG? But it's that's post PG thirteen it's yeah. G rated. I think it's a G post PG 13. So, I think, take yeah, take that rating. Forward. I always say, whenever
1: you have Ferruzza Balk playing Dorothy, yeah, I mean, granted, that's with some hindsight, just as to kind yeah. of the character she would pull out. But when Nancy from the craft is taking a,
0: to the <laughs> Emerald say, City, something's amiss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least, didn't quite catch on. But,
1: uh, along with that, we have a continuation of our live at the Browning. Uh, films or mm-hmm. presentations uh, from the National Theater Live side of things. We have One Man, Two Governors. And this is the James Corden uh,
2: <laughs>
1: version that people know well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, actually from 2011, that really launched him into fame and the late night talk circuit. Great. And from the Met, uh, we have uh, Puccini's uh, Turandot and Mazanet's Mazanet, sorry, uh, Menon.
0: I butchered that. <laughs> Good enough. Good enough. You met fans. You know, send your letters to the editor. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: They—they're not listening. To, they're listening to the Met on the radio. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> which is our number one competitor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. In terms of the Nanovic film series, which highlights films uh, from Europe, as is the Nanovic Institute for European Study. Uh, we have two new films, uh, both from 2018. Uh, one is the um, uh, well, a longer title. Uh, it's literally a quote unquote. I do not care if we go down history as barbarians, and this is from
0: Radu Jude. And is that a quote associated with um, Ceausescu, or is it is it somebody? Is it does it have another?
1: I know there? it's a Romanian official. I don't okay. know that's him necessarily, gotcha. but it was. In response to the slaughtering of Jews in Odessa. Uh, well, so then I then it doubt it's, it's probably, not it's probably not him. No, it's going Yeah. But yeah. I, all at the same time, I don't know if it's something he might have said even after the fact. Sure. Uh, but I think it's something that said, wow, that's happening in Odessa. Mm-hmm. And um, so very... It's a postmodern take on making a World War II movie. Got it. And then another... They're striking in a factory film, which mm-hmm. I've been all about of late. Yeah, I dig those. Uh, At War en Gros mm-hmm. uh, from France. And that will be featuring non-professional actors and I a very lovely film. In terms of the classics movies, uh, we have, through the Institute for Latino Studies, a re-showing of Psycho for, a guest an author who's going to be coming here. So if you missed that in the Hitchcock series before, you can go out for it. Uh, Babylon, which recently got reissued. Uh, this is a film from the early 80s uh, that was originally banned. Uh, or, yeah, banned in the United States, I think. Really? United States or UK, sorry. I, I got to look Maybe back UK. at that. I think UK. probably UK. Yeah. Odd for United States to ban a film. Uh, Regardless, it was a film that was controversial when it came out, uh, and it looks at uh, a radio DJ in South London who is uh, 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 very progressive in racial politics and serving the black community. And... People were worried that it would incite violence. That is a common excuse it used not to show movies. It didn't, uh, but it just kind of got lost over the last almost 40 years. So we're going to bring that back. Cool event with uh, uh, with the Romance Languages and Literature Department. We are showing La Cuena de la Muerte, which is the pan flute of death. This is an Argentine film from 1929. And we have a tango musician who is the best at his craft, who is coming up from Argentina, uh, Hernan Reynaldo, who will be live-scoring it.
0: Great. I love live-scores.
1: And for this one, I I think it's going to pair up really interestingly, hearing Mm -hmm. tango music uh, behind the film, which is uh, about a, a woman and her lover who head off to the countryside and things start falling apart. Okay. Uh, then to close out, we have two other classics. <laughs> I can't uh,
0: contain myself on one of these.
1: But the, go on, just go. go uh, on. The classic film Chopping Mall. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, which, uh, which the
0: description we have on this says. At the shopping mall, shopping will cost you your arms and legs. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, that's, I mean, I did take the tagline and just make it plural. I think it said, oh, shopping will cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, I, like, I liked yeah.
0: arms and legs yeah, more. Yeah. Uh, but this. But it will cost, I think the expression is, oh, that's going to cost you an arm and a leg.
1: Yeah. But I like to cost <laughs> you <laughs> your arms and legs. Just blunter. Uh, shopping mall is awesome. A little more gruesome. Uh, shopping mall is a great splatter 80s movie that could not. Like, well, obviously, I mean, yeah, it could be like, uh, it could have other '80s markers on it, yeah. but it it is very much a time and place for reasons, uh, including it's set in a shopping mall right. and uh, robots, uh, which are <laughs> like peak Kevin from Save by the Bell, looking yeah, uh, robots come after and laser people to death.
0: Well, and also because uh, if you look at the most recent season of Stranger Things, it has its kind of climactic scenes. or A lot of the, fil- a lot of the series this, this time around was set in a shopping mall, uh-huh. but did it in a very kind of saccharine way. This will uh-huh. be a nice kind of antidote to that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no bursting out into uh, the never-ending story, which I know many people loved, but I, I did not. So. Did they sing it or? Yeah, there's. We'll we'll talk about oh, that okay. off off podcast about
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, have a, a weekend run of Chopping Mall, and we also on Halloween have two screenings of Howzu uh, from Japan in the late '70s. Translates to house. Uh, this movie's bonkers. Mm. It is. It's really uh, a ton of fun, and it is. At its core, a gothic haunted, horse, haunted house uh, movie, but also a teenage girl, almost like cheerleader pick, mm-hmm. uh, girls from a high school descend upon uh, one of their aunt's houses, and things go awry. Nice. But it is, it's wild. Yeah, it I, I've never seen it, and I, I can't wait, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm...
0: I've made my Halloween plans.
1: Yeah. I've used it in class before and students respond very well to it. So I think people will dig it.
0: Great. Okay. Now we are going to dive into our top three uh, for the month. And we are so pleased to have a guest joining us. (laughs) The one and only Lynn Holbrook. Hello, Lynn. Hello. Lynn is what is Lynn? What is your official title? I know you are goddess the, of all uh, things costumes.
2: I am the costume shop manager. It doesn't get any more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but a, it's but, it's a very encompassing title.
0: <laughs> I know, but for all of us who know you, we know that you know you're you're much more than just a simple title. So, yeah. uh, we were uh, Ricky had the brilliant idea of uh, since it's October. Um, and people are thinking about um, great costume ideas to uh, maybe think about film costumes and particularly costume design in films. Uh, so the three of us have come up with what we hope will be three interesting examples of uh, costuming in the movies. Particularly, we're not, we're not talking about an individual costume, right, Ricky? We're talking about no. the overall costume design.
1: Although you can do it as you choose.
0: Okay, there might be a favorite costume within these movies sure. that we might highlight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh great. Okay, so uh Ricky, why don't you start us off with uh, your first choice?
1: Okay. So my first film is uh, from the mid-70s, and it is the original film version of The Stepford Wives. And I grew up with my mom referencing the Stepford Wives quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, calling women in town <laughs> Stepford Wives. <laughs> and yeah. that encouraged me to see the movie at a very young age. And it was directed by uh, Brian Forbes. Who's uh, probably best known for this and Whistle Down the Wind, and it's based on a novel uh, that's written by the same author who wrote w- Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, which had I known before I saw the movie, I think would maybe given me a little more context on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the goal of the screenwriter was to make it a very provocative film, and originally they were supposed to be wearing these leather knee high boots and mod dresses, and really sex it up. And I get—I don't know if this is apocryphal or not—but the director cast his wife. He's like, "I don't want to see my wife in that." <laughs> and so they Perfect. went with instead uh, a very different look. And to explain it, uh, the plot is that a very liberated woman uh, moves from New York City into Connecticut,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she wears clothes of the time—you uh, know, crop tops and Daisy—not Daisy, Daisy Dukes—but you know, she's looking. Uh, like Manhattan. And she moves to Connecticut and meets all these women who are suddenly very Laura Ashley. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of frills, lots of maxi dresses, lots of hats. And automatically, you know that she's in a very different world. And I remember liking as a kid... Uh, because it showed that the little house on the prairie ideal had something very scary lurking underneath it. <laughs> As if you see Sefford Wives, uh, you'll know that. That right. just because right. something is Victorian and frilly and pastoral doesn't mean it's safe. Yeah. And uh, that was that was something that was really fun at the time and something that I think they didn't quite get right when they remade it. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes, I think, with the remake uh, of the film, of the novel.
0: But maybe it's because they lost that sense of the design elements that were so kind of key in this earlier version.
1: And knowing what's scary at the time, in the 70s, going back to a very 1950s, 1850s look, was going to freak out the women of Manhattan.
2: It was. But I love the fact that they have kept that, um, that, I love the gloves. Everybody's got on gloves. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Yep. Um, and and again, another part that's sort of covered but not. So we have open shoulders, but we have covered hands, covered legs, which does harken back mm-hmm. in history. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, Yeah, right. It's not entirely Handmaid's Tale, right? mm that they're still sexy. And there's adornment.
0: There's yeah, yeah. There's still and when you yeah. It's funny you mentioned the little house in the prairie reference because I, I think of that as like my older sisters. Like that's how that was kind of a, a look that they were into for a while. And it was and it suggested you know a kind of safe you know uh, acceptable look, which of course feeds into the plot of the film that you know this Stepford Society is the it's the safe alternative to. You know, uh, you know the raciness of New York, when of which, of course, reveals itself not to be that. Is not to spoil too much of the Mm -hmm. film, but um, (laughs) I've never seen it. I just I know the story of it because it's been. It's one of these things. that's more you know. It's so it's referenced so often Mm -hmm. in pop culture. Of you know, oh, that's a Stepford community. um, That uh, (laughs) you you, you've been to more Stepford Stepford like places without having seen the seen the actual reference. So. Um, but it was a big deal at the
2: time. It was, yeah. it was, yeah. but I think it's interesting with the little house on the prairie inform- information as well is the fact that those people were dressing in the way that they needed to mm-hmm. for sure. that time, for the work that they did and so on and so forth. And right. that has absolutely nothing to do with the Stepford wives. Right. They're right. dressing for looks and looks alone. Of course. Where the other people were dressing for necessity, yes. and that's one thing I always get caught up in yeah. when I watch a film—is mm. it necessity dressing yeah. or frivolous? Dressing? But
0: then that necessity becomes a trend.
2: Becomes the trend, <laughs> exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So, intre- We'll have to go back and see that one. I've I've never seen it again. You know, heard it referenced many times. Is Catherine Ross the the city girl? Is she? She's in? the yes. city. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's what yes. I'm trying to remember. Um, great. All right, Lynn. What is your first choice among you? My your- first
2: choice. I went with restoration. Okay. Mostly because uh, that time period, in particular, was not is not a movie choice. Mm-hmm. It's so over the top in terms of decoration and footwear, hair, just simple adornment. Yeah. And. That's why a lot of people don't do it. It's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly expensive. But what I also liked about the film is you see this incredible richness, and it's done well in terms of cut, mm-hmm. in terms of choice of fabrics, trims, etc. But you also see the incredibly poor.
0: Oh, they and do the show same, that as well. Oh, and and wow. the okay.
2: same good choices yeah. are made for all levels of society, and that's why I do like the film mm-hmm. because I do tend to watch – um, and these films obviously were made long before character generation, so yeah. where you could have a couple looks and then and then generate multitudes, they were actually costuming the multitudes. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I find this these particular films a nightmare from mm-hmm. my perspective, yeah. but just such eye candy.
0: Could you could you explain that character? I've I've not actually heard reference to that before. When you said generation, is it in terms of it, it, the design itself is more kind of mass produced in in more contemporary films?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes, and or they can character generate mm-hmm. groups. So as a further out, so digitally digitally, digitally enhance the it. film as opposed to actually having four hundred people standing there in gotcha. costume, gladiator which, style. Exactly. Yeah. And then back when some of these films were made, they couldn't – that was not a piece of technology. Interesting. So you had to costume all – and that also drove up the cost of the production. But see, also within that film, you have to – you start looking at how those costume pieces fit within the environment that they are, within the props that are used, with the sets that are used. Is the flooring right – and I watch shoes – Oh, do I watch shoes because people will cover... She's got a long dress on. We yeah. don't have to wear it good, but you do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. There's a lot of these period films that, you know, when we were trying to come up with a list, there's, you know, mm-hmm. which ones, you know, kind of nail this this lavishness um, really pro- Did you ever see this, Ricky Beck?
1: Um, I remember it strictly from the Oscars mm-hmm. and because of the costume design. Right. Okay and i think uh, robert Downey junior was on i don't know i'm around the time too maybe? this is like mm-hmm. when,
0: when he's trying to come back but he's still not quite not you know, quite there not quite clean. but he doesn't
2: but he doesn't do that bad of a job in yeah. this film well here. he was
0: still doing great fil- i mean like mm-hmm. he was still really interesting i think mm-hmm. at that point as an actor yeah. i think he becomes less interesting when he becomes a superstar because you know he just he starts to really control things in a way that he's still he's still kind of wild
2: at this mm-hmm. point
1: But this is a film, there are a couple of films that you meet first and foremost because of the costumes. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them This is one of them. Mm -hmm.
2: The story's very good, but it's just visual. It's Mm -hmm. that big screen visual. Mm -hmm. You can't watch it on television. It doesn't work on Netflix on your computer the way (laughs) it works in a theater.
0: (laughs) That's great. All right, so my first choice is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I could talk about it in a lot of different ways, but I, but, um, when we are thinking about costuming, I always remember some of the stories behind the costuming for this film. And that's, um, some like it hot, uh, from 1959, um, you know, which of course has the conceit of, you know, two musicians who are on the run from mobsters who have to uh, dress as women and, um, uh, you know, perform in a band with the women in order to hide themselves and not get uh, discovered by these men who are out to kill them. Um, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis play the uh, play the musicians, and of course, in the band they meet uh, Marilyn Monroe. Um, so there's a couple of ways to think about this. One is just you know, as a period film, it, it's made in 1959, set in 1929. It's you know, loosely based on or kind of playing, having some fun with the uh, the events of the uh, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, the um, but the uh, the the fact that they. You know, have you of course have the obvious thing of the costuming of these men as women, which is something to kind Just of see best. how innovative they are and how much fun they have with that, <laughs> and actually how good they look. They do, I, they do. <laughs> I mean, the, the suggestion is that they're ugly, but they're not actually, they're not. They're, no,
2: they're not bad, they're no, not bad,
0: <laughs> no, of course. And then, and then the centerpiece of it all is Marilyn, and you know, kind of the way that she's uh, uh adorned throughout the film to you know, show off Marilyn, mm. um, and the the story. I was rem- uh, that um, I can remember watching a kind of behind the scenes thing about it. Is I think it's when she sings I'm Through With Love. Um, You can actually see that, you know, she she had a notorious reputation for, especially on this film, uh, for, you know, missing calls and showing up late and they always had to shoot around her. So, of course, she'd show up so late that, you know, Lynn, you appreciate this as a costumer. You know, they could barely fit her into her her, uh, dresses and her and I think her weight was fluctuating at the (laughs) Mm -hmm. time. So she was struggling with that. Um, but uh, there's there, when she sings that song, you can actually see when she runs off stage that they don't even have her zipped up.
2: Oh no, <laughs> <'Cause> she, <laughs> she didn't. Because they
0: just didn't have time, and they no, just had to kind of work around it. No, it just didn't it. go up. Right? Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but yeah, even um, you know, and of course, you know the. The way she's, you know, especially those showgirl dresses that she wears throughout oh, yeah. the film, they uh, don't leave a lot to the imagination. No. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. It's probably but, uh, just as well that they didn't maybe fit yeah. perfect. <laughs> but it just seems like, you know, in
0: terms of costuming, it's, it's, it's probably one of the more fun films in terms mm-hmm. of just, you know, kind of going with what they, you know, they know they have in terms of you know the the actors uh but really kind of embracing the you know the 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 genuine comic spirit of the film through through well
2: this is something i didn't re- um research because and i should have You know, when you look at films of this, of this nature, Mm -hmm. you wonder how much of it they pulled from the costume storage on the lot. True. And how much they actually built. Well, they probably built her gowns, but, you know, in terms of the suits, those dresses that the guys The tuxedos that all the gangsters
0: are wearing. Did they they
2: actually build that stuff or was it just on on, the lot, part of the lot? I would guess that
0: a lot of that was, I mean, because that's definitely, I mean, they've got a you know, it, it has a good period look to it. Yes. Um. And uh, and you know and if, in, in the joke in the film, of course, is that Tony Curtis does this this uh, riff on uh, Cary Grant. Uh, so <laughs> you wonder if they just went over to Cary's trail. Although I, I think physically they're they're a bit different, but <laughs> there might have been some alterations. Uh, but yeah, he was. They were probably pulling from his uh, his, his his costume wardrobe. shop. Yeah. So um, that's that's a great one to look at if you're. You know, looking for something. It doesn't have the uh, the color, although you know, as, as a black and white film, and for a black and white film, I would say you know, it still makes really good use of of costuming as a way to you know, kind of emphasize the characters. So.
2: Well, you can see the texture. You can yeah. see the glint. Yep. You know, she's carrying a fur. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Yeah,
0: that's good. All right, Ricky, what's number two for you?
2: Um,
1: I'm going to go with. Um, I was trying to figure out which Mad Max movie I wanted. I, well, first of all, I was trying to figure out which post-apocalyptic movie I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was which Mad Max movie I, I wanted to roll with. And I decided to go with uh, Thunderdome from mm-hmm. 1985. And like the other Mad Max movies, this is directed by George Miller and also co-directed by uh, George uh, Ogilvy, uh, And the costume designer on this uh, is a woman named uh, Norma Morosu. And... She was a screenwriter who got into costumes and would do costuming for, like, the Sex Pistols. hmm uh, Okay. And generally was in the late 70s kind of punk world in terms mm-hmm. of her look and aesthetic. And ultimately goes on to do a lot of Aussie films like The Crocodile Dundees* and Dead oh, really? Calm uh, and uh, Babe 2, Big in the City. <laughs> um, <laughs> not a sequel to Mad Max, not Babe 2. Yeah. Not uh, Babe 2. Uh, but before she gets into those worlds, she uh, stays closer to that kind of rock and roll swindle and does a really good riff on Biker meets uh uh, apocalypse, I guess. like a scatological <laughs> Apocalyptic biker. Apocalyptic bikers. There you are. Uh, and w- the thing about Thunderdome for me is the visuals on it and Auntie Entity are my entry point for Tina Turner.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. uh, so mm. I
1: see Tina Turner first as Auntie Entity. Wow. And then. Get like have to work backwards when people are like oh no that's Proud Mary yeah I'm like wait no 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 Proud <laughs> Mary just wears chainmail yeah. and giant metal snail earrings <laughs> like it made it made very little sense uh, right. in terms of how I had to come to the celebrity yeah. who is Tina Turner, uh, and, but beyond that uh, still when you go back um, and watch this as well as all of the other Mad Max movies mm. you. Really appreciate just how stylized they make the apocalypse Mm -hmm. and make it fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. You know, it's uh, not too heavy, not too heavy and not just, you know, because it's a car chase or because it's, you know, a gladiator scene. But uh, it's eye candy first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think of the, of the four films, uh, this one is still the most fun to look at stills mm-hmm. be like, oh, wow, they were really out there. Yeah, <laughs> they were.
2: And you know what's also fascinating about that whole Mad Max thing is it spawned a whole, uh, a whole costume genre. Oh, really? And it's just out there. There are just vendors who do that, mm-hmm. especially especially on Etsy. Uh-huh. There's vendors. That this is all they do. Huh. That worn, erosive, post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, and you can get it any way you like it. Yeah, it's 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 its own thing. And it was because of these mu- movies that that genre started
0: well and this is at a point when in that series when they're you know it's the third film in the series where they they have some money to play with too Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so especially for tina they can they can really play it up Mm -hmm. um there's a there's a uh uh, Tina Turner Broadway musical opening up this year. Um you know, kind of like what they did with Cher, I guess, mm-hmm, last year. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm sure, you know, costuming is going to be a big thing oh, about that absolutely. for her. I wonder if they'll incorporate the identity. I uh, bet they uh, do. The because it. yeah, it's
2: so iconic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
2: you know, let's face it, she's hot. She's she was hot I mean that was that was, play, that was the whole thing.
0: I mean that that's what you know you kind of miss is if you're coming in at this point, you know, there's the whole comeback, which really started a couple of years before that, you know, it mm-hmm. starts in 83 and then, and it's because the comeback is such a success that she gets, she gets this part. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had, she already had kind of a wild thing going in terms of, a, of her look. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lynn, have you ever
1: had to work with like these really Oh yeah, industrial, difficult. Yeah. And Material what's, it, what's, or? It, what's it like having to design something like this? Like, a chain well, metal? I normally, yeah,
2: but, uh, yeah. <laughs> chain mail. <laughs> um, I Because I do the building, the designing, you can put a line or draw anything you want on the body. I'm the one who has to sit down and go, okay, how do I make that happen on the body? And you work a lot in, in experimentation mode. Okay, what do I have to put on it? If you look at this, you've provided us a picture of uh, one of her gowns. And if mm-hmm. I look at it and say, okay... How am I going to make this particular fabric, and I don't know what this fabric is, do what it does on her shoulders? The rest of the gown is cake work, but what she has going on on her shoulders and around her arms, you know, that takes some experiment, experimentation to figure out what's going to hold this. Is, is, it, um, is it a glue that, that, that is wrapped and draped and set and then attached? It, everything takes that little bit of time. Mm-hmm. you know, Doing all of the shoulder work and things like that on their armor, for lack of a better word, yeah. it all takes time. It's just experimentation until you know you can get it right mm-hmm. and then make it last yeah. because it's in a film. It's not going to just get worn that one day. How many more do you have to have that back it up?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
2: And I saw that when I saw a um, costume display of Titanic. Titanic and they had one of Kate Winslet's gowns and they said there were eight built the exact same gown because it was the gown she wore in the flood scene.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So you have to, to,
2: wherever they were in terms of shooting, she had to maintain that consistency. Mm -hmm. Well, that was not a gown that should have gotten wet ever, (laughs) but yeah, I think
0: Tina wears just this throughout the
2: film. I I think she does, but I I bet there's more than one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it probably was. It's funny, it, Mel Gibson, we're not talking about him, maybe for good reason, but um, the, yeah. but I actually, when I was, you know, this was, I saw that I was probably in high school when this came out and uh, I can remember like thinking Mel Gibson was really cool at the time and especially like Year of Living Dangerously and wanting to like- <laughs> All know, the mm-hmm. high schoolers love that. The, I know, yeah. I would say, well, that was me, you know, that explains a lot, I guess, but it but like modeled my look after him for, for oh, a little yeah. bit, especially like, especially around that, that he was just, he was really cool at that point and yeah. mm-hmm. um and you know if you if even like as a in terms of fashion i thought it was very simple but mm-hmm. um but very cool but then but then it kind of goes off the rails
2: after that so we'll <laughs>
0: we'll just forget about everything that happened for the next 30 years <laughs> uh great okay Lynn, what do you have second on your list
2: well second on my list was a sense and sensibilities or just about anything that has uh, jane austen oh, yeah. that they've re- that they've made and the coolest thing about these these things are as when you look at this film and you look at their clothing, you know, if you look at across all of them, they did indeed have that in their closet. And mm-hmm. that's what they pulled out to wear that day. So it's uh, it total looks authenticity. Right. Yeah. It, there's yeah. nothing wrong about it. The men's sleeves and their jackets, the collars, the, the boots, the breeches, Spot on. Mm -hmm. But I love when they take very good care with the fabrics and the way the fabrics look Mm -hmm. and the way they've been worn down and the way they've cut these garments. There's enough interest across the boards at all the different stylings, you know, same period, different stylings. Right. But I love the fact that they look like they lived in these clothes.
0: Yeah. So this, this is, Sense Sensibility is Ang Lee, right? That's he, Ang Lee directed mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. which was, you know, again, known for kind of uh, not being consistent in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, the kinds of films that he makes. But but if there is a consistency, it's, you know, they, all of his films are great looking. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, real care in terms of overall production design, which, you know, is, in, I would say, inclusive of, of costume design. Well,
2: that's one of these shows that I like for me. I had mm-hmm. to watch it. Three times. Yeah. Because I have to watch the story. Yeah. Then I watch sort of all the extracurricular things like, (laughs) oh, their hair, (laughs) uh, their hats – um, their props, um, and, then, yeah. and then by that time, I'm watching the close-ups because, oh, look at how they set that sleeve in that jacket. That's really perfect. Yeah. And just all that little minutiae. <laughs> so I have to see yeah. it a number of times because I've missed everything.
0: Right. So actually, our first podcast, uh, pre-Ricky, was ex- was about um, Jane Austen because it mm-hmm. was when uh, the department was doing, was it Pride and Prejudice? Prejudice? Yep. Yep. So we had actually had a student on who was working on the, on, on the show to talk about it. Um, but we also did a film series related to that where we showed all of the, you know, kind of major adaptations. And, you know, really the wave of the Jane Austen adaptations is mid to late 90s. Right. So a lot of those films right. and it's in, you know, there was never a real kind of explanation as to why that was the moment for the Jane Austen adaptation um, in terms of. You but know, there was there, there was, was definitely a thing and millish. it didn't you know spark. I don't know. Hmm. It didn't necessarily spark a fashion trend or anything mm-hmm. like that. But there there seemed to be this deep investment in her work. Um, I, I can't really explain it. Yeah.
1: I don't know, other than there were people that were going back to the public domain and saying, hey, what can you adapt? Right,
0: can we have –
2: but, you know, there's a whole Jane Austen society now, and their clothing, oh, talk about a –
0: And it was – the BBC series was – that was Mm -hmm. was kind of the big spark. That was the big spark. The the fact that that was so popular, I think, led to a lot of these Mm -hmm, other versions that come up.
1: And the reading clubs that are – Growing around yeah. the internet at the time where you're able to very quickly find other Jane Austen uh fiends. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who, and because and if you can tap into that crowd and bring them together, right, you're gonna get you're gonna get some money off of it. Yep. yep. Uh when you're talking Lynn, you're saying you see movies three times. Yeah. Um Will, how often, if you're watching a period piece and there are costumes that are off in some way, shape, or form, how, like, Brechtian is it for you? Does it just take you out, or are you able to gloss over it? Oh, I gloss
2: over it because I always realize that when you're working on stage and on film, there's choices made. And you may not know why that choice was made, but it was made. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's always time, money. Situation, No, it never takes me out unless I find something so blatantly wrong. But there's a number of films that I know one of the professor here, professors here uses in class where he just says, it looks right, mm-hmm. but let's go and find out what's wrong. <laughs> so you know, just to train the eye a little bit yeah. better. Yeah. So I don't know. It never takes me out. Mm-hmm. It just, you know. There's a choice. But it can pull you in. Right. It can to see what else they (laughs) – what else you got going on. That actually
0: sets up my next film kind of in an interesting way maybe. But um, uh, the next one I want to talk about is a film from 1998. uh, I think it's 98, um, which is Todd Haynes' film uh, Velvet Goldmine. So in my kind of uh, uh, grad school uh, film circles, this was highly anticipated because – um, Todd Haynes' work up until that point had been kind of, you know, everybody was into his into his stuff, whether it was, you know, the Karen Carpenter story or um, Poison or Safe, which was a film that was really a big thing for uh, in gra- a big film in grad school. I wonder if Safe would be actually an interesting one to see how it holds up. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would be. It would be. Yeah, don't it's, it's
1: kind of. Yeah, that would be. Well, we we have Magnolia, which is kind of. Yeah, Julianne Moore doing a similar.
0: That's similar right. Thing. That's right. So, um, but Velvet Goldmine was, um, you know, his Todd Haynes's take on the whole world of glam rock. Uh, you know, very thinly uh, veiled. Uh, uh, Biography of David Bowie, Iggy Pop, kind of throwing all of those guys together, or variations on those on on those guys, and creating these characters based on them. Uh, Roxy Music kind of plays into it. Um, So, I mean, just you start off with the material of it. You know, the glam era has you know such great costuming, Mm -hmm. um, which is you know kind of this fusion of uh you know just completely opulent completely you know kind of over the top with just the right degree of tackiness that kind of makes it you know (laughs) kind of accessible i think to a lot of people and i think one of the things you know the film gets into is you know how kind of regular kids in london could you know even though it seems like these looks were so kind of out of reach that they could kind of create their own versions of
2: it and they did
0: yeah um but it's a film actually that wasn't received by a lot of people and uh, very positively, um, because it was seen as purely superficial. It was so caught up in creating these surfaces, and you know, even in the music itself, um, the, these this music that sounds like Bowie but it's not Bowie. Um, you know, are there problems with that? I thought it worked incredibly well. I think, you know, as a, as, you know, in terms of trying to capture, you know, what the glam scene was all about, I thought it was clearly made by someone who loved this music, who loved, who loved the look of it. You know, there's the great moment where, uh, you know, the kid brings home the album, or the kid, it's Christian Bale, actually, (laughs) uh, who's supposed to be a teenager at the time, you know, buys the album and has to kind of sneak it out of the store because, you know, he doesn't want people to see what he's bought. And then he sneaks it into his bedroom and just stares at the album cover um, kind of obsessively, uh, you know, just that kind of fascination with music and really in, in music as a kind of, as, as both, you know, an oral experience, but very tactile, very, very much something that, um, is enhanced by the sort of visual elements, which was something that Glenn mm-hmm. brought to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you would, you know, kids would see these performers on, you know, top of the pops or, you know, sure. uh, I don't know if they made it to, to American bandstand at that point, but
2: <laughs> not, not thinking so, <laughs> not
0: no, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's why, I mean, I haven't watched this in quite some time. I, I'm curious how it would hold up, but I can remember really just being into it and, and coming out of it feeling like it wasn't so much that I had watched the greatest film ever, but that I, I had completely immersed myself in the world of this film,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and you know, and that was that was kind of a trip. So um, I don't know if you guys have and that is of it.
2: and that there is something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. There is something to be said for whether or not something is period of correct or not period of correct. But it's about creating the world, yeah, and yeah. whether or not you can get wrap the tension to get into that world. Sure, and there's something to be said for that. And that's not easy work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. as a designer. Yeah. It's not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely Every I mean,
2: choice is is critical.
0: And it's um yeah, and it's in and you know, for Bowie of course who is known for, you know, his variation of looks, you know, his, mm. a different a different character that he that he takes on every couple of years. They they try to capture all of that even <laughs> even mm-hmm. shifting to the Let's Dance era. At the, wow. <laughs> at the end of, I like that Bowie. Yeah, I like that <laughs> Bowie too. I did too. So um, Ricky, did you do you do you have strong feelings about this film one way or another? Or?
1: I uh, when I saw it uh, in high school, mm-hmm. I remember not being that moved by it. Yeah, yeah. And I actually have not gone back to it. Mm. Uh, I think it, I think now I'd have more fun with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it just it didn't. And it had so much hype, uh, and yeah, it was it the movie you needed to see that year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just. I wasn't into the story. I wasn't into...
0: And that was a lot of people's reaction because they did, because, you know, because people who were interested in independent film were so excited about Todd Haynes as a filmmaker, they weren't quite, a lot of people weren't quite sure what to make of this and just, or, or just not able to connect with
1: it. Yeah. it, it Yeah. It left me, fl- and it's funny that I haven't gone back to it since, <laughs> uh, as I've probably watched Superstar. Yeah. Six or seven times since then. If but. you
0: watch, um, I remember what we what we did around the time was we watched this and then we watched Bowie videos and especially the early David Bowie videos. And mm-hmm. it's so spot on in terms of how it plays off of the the sort of bizarro aesthetic of those of those pieces um, that it actually that made it it made it seem more significant.
1: Well, and when he well in two things when he had his museum, the David Bowie museum. Oh, the exhibit. The exhibit was going around. There was a lot of press about Velvet Goldmine again. Like, oh, I'll go back and watch it. I missed uh-huh. it then. And then when he passed away, same thing. Uh-huh. And I feel like I've missed my moment again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I think it would fit in. Wait till Iggy dies. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Some, some God other, forbid you should die. That's regularly. right. It's like Iggy, long live Iggy. Yeah.
1: So. But I do, uh, and he's obviously someone who, I you know, he's not entirely superficial, but he's definitely high concept. Mm-hmm. And I could see how the storyline might get left behind. Yep. And this is also, uh, I, I feel like it's a film that is somewhat, I don't know. I, I felt like if I were British, I would appreciate it more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, why <laughs> didn't it didn't work understand. for me. Understand. But... Uh, but I do remember thinking that the look of it was was amazing. So, all right, well, worth tell, a go. Worth Rick, a go,
0: Ricky. Tell us about your third film, which is a film I have not seen. Me, um,
1: me either. Yeah. So this is from the mid '90s, and it is a, a film called Angels and Insects, uh, which I saw a couple years thereafter. So I was in high school at the time for sure. I think I was like a freshman in high school, and it is. It's from a director named Phil Haas who wasn't really a film director. He is uh, coming in and almost like a Tom Ford... Or like a Steve McQueen because he's more mm-hmm. gallery, mm-hmm. sculptor, uh, installation type guy. And he got as the costume director a man named Paul Brown who was doing operas at the time. And his big push for it was... Uh, There's very little naturalism despite being set, um, you know, 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so when Lynn was talking about, like, do they get the time right? Mm -hmm. They they actively don't go for that. And uh, this was one of the first moments. uh, Anachronisms for me were always funny and intriguing. And I remember this movie as really popping out because not only are the costumes – I mean, they, they could be right, but just played to the hilt. Right. Uh, the camera movements, the dialogue, the look of it is there's nothing 1800s about it. That mm-hmm. I, I would say House Sense of Sensibility has the kind of modern film vibe of the 1800s. This is not going for that on any level. And on top of that, it comes off almost as looking like it's an early 60s movie. The lighting and everything mm-hmm. has an odd look to it. Uh, The plot line, by the way, uh, I forgot about this when Call Me By Your Name came out. But similar, Um, a researcher comes to stay with somebody Mm -hmm. and falls in love with their child. Mm -hmm. And things go from there. Uh, And it it was interesting to me, the people that revisit it. I was thinking about this today. Um, And I think it's because the storyline is so lost to the look and feel Mm -hmm. of the movie. Yeah. Despite having... Uh, a, a very um, I mean just like in a couple of, I'm not revealing like a couple of twists that very like make this movie pop out mm-hmm. um, and one thing that's really great uh, the lead character or the matriarchal figure uh, has this queen costume a queen bee costume uh, that she wears around and it's so like obvious and direct mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, uh, yeah. it's uh, it's great in its playfulness
0: Mm-hmm. Very.
1: So it's a film that uh, I, I think people should check out. But who's in
0: the film? Is it Patsy Kensit was in it, and
1: and he, oof, can't remember. Yeah, lost on me. Yeah, but uh, I, I um, it's worth revisiting because I think this is something that would this style uh, the stylized way of going about trying to do a period is something that okay. uh, we saw recently with David Copperfield, mm-hmm. and there are shades of that in this. Mm-hmm. Only this is much, much higher.
0: right? Excellent. Lynn, what is your third film my that you third want
2: to talk about? My third and my most favorite film ever is The Great Race. Wow. Okay. And here we are Tony Curtis, yep. Jack Lemon again, yep. Natalie Wood, and Peter Falk, and the list goes on. Yep. Cassie this is Cassie. that movie. It was designed by Don Feld, mm-hmm. uh, who did a number of films um, on the lot where they filmed. A number of things, but one of his other films was, I think, Robin and the Seven Hoods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a melodrama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's, they, they make no bones about it. They, they try to play, they play it straight up, mm-hmm. but it's just over the top. First of all, Natalie Woods is traveling with them as the reporter, and they are on a race from New York to Paris, mm-hmm. and. She has a different outfit every time you see her, and you start to wonder where are the clothes? Yeah, yeah. where's the where luggage? Is she hiding the <laughs> suitcase? And it's not That's only not her. A carry on. Here come, yeah. here comes Tony Curtis. He's got on something good. Always in white. Always in white. Um, you know, with the with the the glinty teeth and just always perfect. Uh, and they go to all these different locations, and everybody there is dressed. Um, somewhat appropriately but again the color it's just it's it's eye candy Mm -hmm. um I just – and Ross Martin's in it, which if Ross Martin's in it, it doesn't matter. Then you're all set.
0: (laughs) I'll just watch it. Good to know. (laughs) We'll do that Ross Martin film festival. Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) He's not in many films. You can just watch
2: The Wild Wild West. Yeah, Um, But it cracks me up because there's – her clothes and it just Mm – you just – you lose track. Yeah. And the other part about it is, yes, it looks Period correct, eh, close. You know, you your eye is not going. Well, that dress isn't draped right. No, mm-hmm. you're just buying it. Mm-hmm. You're just buying it, hook, yeah. line, and sinker, because it is what it is. Well, I mean, she's in bold colors, and she always is perfect. Always has a matching hat. Yeah, gloves. It's interesting
0: you focus on her too because I you know I think of this in this wave of movies in the 60s where you have you know the cast of thousands right. where, you know these it's one of the sort of last gasps of the old mm-hmm. studio system where they just would throw a bunch of people you know it's like it's a mad mad world or Oh yeah right um, right right you know or or even you know stuff like you know uh, the Dirty Dozen or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or you just have, you have a, I mean, whatever the genre might be, you know, that you, you elevate the film by just having the people more in people in it mm-hmm. <laughs> or more, more, you know, a thousand stars. Um, but, uh, but, you know, interesting to focus on kind of, you know, Curtis and mm-hmm. Wood is kind of the key element.
2: And Jack Lemon and Peter Falk never change clothes.
0: Yeah. Except Peter Falk never changed his No, He was always he was always in the always, same costume. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In and uh Jack Lemon <laughs> only had to change
2: when he became the prince.
0: Yeah. God, that's a funny scene. Yeah.
2: With that's those great. little dogs.
0: Oh my god. I'm gonna go back to that one. That's a that's oh, I one. just love I, it. It I was on I, not I remember, that long ago. I remember yeah, I was I remember watching a little bit of it as a kid, but
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know, have to have to go well, back
2: It's like three hours.
0: Is it really? Yeah. Is it that long? Yeah. Okay. Um, Great. All right. Well, the last one I'm going to mention is a film from 2001 um, and it's Wong Kar Wai's uh, In the Mood for Love. Um, And this is a film that uh, Wong Kar Wai is a director from Hong Kong um, makes films. He has a really interesting group of films that he makes in the nineties. Um, Hong Kong being a really interesting place to make films in the nineties because of the handover and kind of the anxiety mm-hmm. about the handover that's happening. Um, once he sort of get, once you sort of get past that in his nineties films, uh, he goes into this piece, which is a period film set in the early 1960s and follows a relationship, uh, by two characters played by uh, uh, Tony Lung and the unbelievably beautiful Maggie Chung. Um, and really this is, you know, if, if it's, it's a film that's fairly slow moving, fairly minimal narrative, but if you need something, a way to engage with it, just watch Maggie Chung throughout the film. And it's, you know, watching her mm-hmm. both in terms of how she, you know, functions as an actress and, and a character opposite um, uh, Tony Lung, but but the way she's dressed throughout the film, um, just every scene. Uh, it's set in the early '60s, so you know she had. There's a certain kind of. Uh, you know, clean line look to her silhouette. Um, that's uh, that's just beautiful. The um, the, you know, she's wearing all of these pattern dresses that are just you know, in, in each scene they kind of outdo each other. But mm. it's done in you know, as as you know, eye catching as that in as that is, it's done in a very kind of subtle way. Mm-hmm. Um, where it just you know, she seems just such a natural part of this of this world uh, that they create. So so beautiful. Um, you know Juan it's an, He's an interesting director in that you know he goes once he makes this film. Um, this was kind of his peak, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like you know, since he's the films that he's made since then, he actually, he actually tried to make a, a sequel to this, a film called Twenty Forty Six, which was not very successful. Um, and then he goes to um, he goes to the U.S. makes a film with Nora Jones that. My Blueberry Nights, which wasn't very good. Mm. Um, so he's kind of sort of lost his way since um, since he made this. But um, this was a film that, you know, really within kind of the art cinema world had become um, so popular um, that, um, that people have always kind of wanted him to get back to, you know, th- this aesthetic in particular. Yeah. It's really, it's the look that really drew it. I can remember I was working at um, Harvard University at the time and uh, the, our library that we used... Um, for for various purposes. This DVD would get stolen constantly. Really? Were just kind of, they, it just was it's that kind of obsessive film that students would would really get immersed in. I'll be darned. Yeah. So worth seeing.
1: And I can see a um a if, if people liked the look of Mad Men mm-hmm. Which obviously right?
2: they did people bought later. into that
1: yeah. in the late two thousands. Uh this would be a film that would scratch the same itch. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was thinking mm-hmm. about it. In a thinking stylized about, way, too. There's more fun to it.
0: Right. I was trying to think of, you know, because I love Mad Men, and I was trying to think of what's, what are the films that kind of have that look. And, you know, you can go back to the period mm-hmm. itself, um, or you can see the films that try to recreate this period. And I think right. this, does it, this does it really well. Even though it's Hong Kong versus New York City, um, there's a real kind of sleekness and elegance to the, to the look. She's just, she's just stunning in every scene that she's in. Wow. All right. Well, hopefully, we gave you some uh, good ideas for um, some uh, films to look out for in terms of costume design. Thank you to Lynn for joining us. Lynn, what's your Halloween costume
1: this year?
2: You know what? That's the that's the holiday I don't do. <laughs> For all
0: time. too close to home, yeah, it's just, yeah, it just
2: hits a little hard. Do
0: you, do you have like a film costume that you've that you have fond memories of? Or?
1: Uh, no, I I went uh, from ages kindergarten to whenever I stopped. <coughs> I was. Uh, a uh I don't know the the proper term now, but a hobo. Mm.
0: Yeah. Was, <laughs>
1: that's what that was
0: it. That and was every
1: it. year I got a new plaid shirt from our local Goodwill. I got mm-hmm. a new fake cigar. Yeah. That was my go-to. Yeah. And it's because uh my family has South Dakota roots and hobo days are mm-hmm. a common thing at South Dakota State. So yeah. that's what I dressed up. I never went as a universal Monster or a pirate? Right. Or no, a ghost. no, no! It
2: had to be something you dug yeah. up. Yeah, yeah Got yeah. my
1: bindle out and went yeah. to went to town, and yeah. that was extra treat space too. Right. So I would <laughs>
0: actually
2: carry treats in my bindle. Oh yeah, right. Put yeah. it right yeah. over your shoulder. Yeah. yeah.
0: I had a I had a C three PO costume when I was when Ooh. I was little, which was wow. the you know, sort of the old school, you know, plastic mask with the mm-hmm. vinyl sheet. Yeah. Right. Which Don't get the near
1: the campfire. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: exactly. no. No. Was your, yeah, No. Yeah. Yeah. Little toxic. Um. But then I the one I always remember um uh, when I think about like a movie influenced halloween costume is when I was in college I uh, I went as Hannibal Lecter, um, <gasps> and I actually rented a costume for it because I, I just was really into it at the time. And so it had, and it was it was a pretty authentic costume. It had the mask and the straight Whoa. jacket, the gurney. Um, well, what <laughs> I did was I was working at the campus uh, video store at the time, Not and of course, <laughs> <laughs> and so we had a uh, we had a two wheeler for moving oh, yeah, boxes. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. um, my now wife actually wheeled me into a party, <laughs> strapped to the two wheeler, and I just. Kind <laughs> I kind of sat in the corner making strange noises all night. It was very. It was very I just it's a kind of, on the I know it was. It was a little bit difficult to do that, but I was like, "No, I'm committed to this." So You're committed to. The I do luck. have that uh, very strong memory. So, uh, hopefully, that there's a couple of more costume ideas for you for this
2: year. I have all the parts I need to recreate Lizzie Borden. Ah. And I want to build that suit mm-hmm. with. The blood, and yep. the splatter, and yeah. the hair, and the, the whole axe. thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I can remember
0: going to a haunted house when I was a kid, and the scariest mm-hmm. thing was the Lizzie Borden room. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I think oh, the Massachusetts. woman- Well, it was Massachusetts, but it was also the woman who was, the woman who was Lizzie Borden. Actually, uh, you know, they tell the story of Lizzie Borden, and then as you're getting ready to leave, she comes screaming with the ax in hand at you, which chased you out to the next room. I so know. it was pretty horrifying. I like, can still- You still- <laughs> <wrong>. See, so, <laughs>
2: okay well that's
0: it for this month Um, we'll see you guys next time uh, with more good uh, good news and, and good stories to tell about what's happening here at the Browning Cinema